3: and get ten percent off your plan.
0: You're listening to Yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture. Because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Griner, I'm the international editor with Adweek, and with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, Creative and Inclusion Editor here at Adweek. Shannon, how are you
4: doing?
0: I am fantastic. How are you? I am good. Um, it's uh, it's another packed house here of our colleagues at Adweek because we have just been uh, running some really fantastic coverage around uh, and, and advice and stellar content around the agency world, the relationship between agencies and brands. So I would assume if someone's listening to this that they have some vague connection to at least either agencies or brands or some vendor or somewhere in between. So I think you will enjoy this because pretty much every industry that we are involved with gets involved with pitching with winning new business with uh new marketing chiefs coming in at companies and deciding who their partners should be including agencies creative agencies media agencies so with us to talk about some of that uh, coverage and some of the advice that we have gleaned from it are jameson fleming our agency editor jameson always great to have you on the show thank
5: you for having me and i'm excited to uh To enter the chaos of a podcast with Emmy. It's my first one.
0: Oh, wow. So yes, Emmy Lederman, agency's reporter, uh, all-time favorite podcast guest, uh, voted fan favorite, uh, three months running. Emmy, how are you doing? I'm
6: pretty good. Um, I can't believe I weaseled my way back into this studio, but um, I'm very excited to be here and continue my legacy of of chaos, so yeah. thank you for
0: having me. Even when we don't put you on the invite, you just show up. So we've just stopped trying, you know. <laughs> yeah, no. I I
6: wasn't I actually wasn't invited. I just invited myself. So just, I just saw yeah, you yeah. on
0: the call. Um, all right. So um, first Shannon, let's take a step back. I'm curious, you uh, blessedly did not have to come up through the ad industry. Um, how much? Like what? What have you learned, especially in your past year here at Adweek, about the pitching process, the new business process, and and what are you curious about? Having now seen just enough of, like the sausage at the end of it, to know what are you curious about how it's made?
4: I mean, it's one of those things that I always like assume was a little bit cutthroat, Um, and I didn't realize just how much how cutthroat it was until I started actually working here in an official capacity, and like understanding the review process and the sort of fast and furious nature of the pitch process. And then like the end result being this hopefully resonant creative and kind of how that's presented to to us as press, as journalists. Um, it's, it's definitely, there's definitely an, a very interesting relationship between creator and agency. Um, And as a creator, I'm just very curious to know, I guess, uh, authentically, how creators feel about that relationship. Because it can be great, but as we all know, it can be very strenuous as well.
0: Yeah, I feel like Emmy is at such a fascinating intersection right now of where the ad industry is, where the creative industry is, is like this intersection of brands and this isn't always the case. Obviously, brands often hire creators directly and work with them without going through any sort of agency mediary. But, Emmy, it feels like now that creator strategy, uh, influencer strategy too, but I think really more now around content creation, it feels like it's becoming like an increasingly central piece of the pitching process. Like, I feel like if you come into a pitch and you don't have a creator strategy, uh, you're going to look like you're in, you know, like you're 17 years behind.
6: Are we using the terms? creator and influencer interchangeably um
0: I think I don't I do but in the sense that like I think of creators as people that you bring in that often the agencies bring in to create content in partnership with a brand um I think in in some cases those seem to be also influencers like they may have their own very large audience uh, but in some cases they are just you know freelance creators who make, let's say like 3D animation or whatever and are just brought in, even though they don't have like 7 million uh, followers. But I don't know, what's your what's your take on that distinction?
6: Yeah, it's sort of, um, I always say that there are three bad words in our industry, journalist, agency, and influencer. No one wants to call themselves a journalist. No one wants to say that they work at an agency and no one wants to say they're an influencer. So a lot of influencers say like, you know, I'm a content creator. I'm not an influencer. Um, and I think that I, I think that they can be used interchangeably. Um, I think influencer is the most descriptive way to describe like what they do. Um, but I think that basically like the main point is that these creators, you know, we'll we'll just call them creators for all intents and purposes. Um, they actually can give a lot of value to agencies and agencies need to figure out how to get th- get them on their side opposed to seeing them as a threat.
0: Yeah, I feel like Jameson, uh, I, can't, I won't name this company because I can't remember if we were able to pry this out of them publicly, but there was one where an agency really won its pitch for a brand um, through a creator strategy, right? And like, we will really harness the new power of all these creators that are out there. Uh, and then within a few months, honestly, I think the brand had decided like, why are we paying this agency? (laughs) We could just just hire these creators and do this. They're not doing any magic. That is a classic, well, that is a recent iteration. (laughs) That is part of a classic debate of are agencies necessary? And, you know, again, before we get into like the specifics of what you've learned in your reporting recently, Jameson, where do you feel that that line is now of why do I need an agency when I could just have an in-house media department? I could have an in-house, you know, creator, uh, liaison kind of program. And I could like, I don't know, in-house studio to make my own ads. Why do I need an agency in 2022?
5: Yeah. I mean, on the, on the influencer front, I mean, a lot of it comes down to like, if you want a real strategy, you still got to go through an agency because they, they know all the players they have massive databases that can point you to the people who will actually authentically resonate with your brand but i mean if you're just trying to hire like a one off influencer for something you probably don't need an agency but if you're actually making it a real part of your marketing that is a significant chunk of your budget then i think you'd be pretty foolish not to go through some kind of agency to, to connect you to the right people
4: I Would I definitely agree that there are often times where you don't necessarily need that intermediate agency to get a job done if it's going to be like a quick wham-bam type deal with like one influencer. However, I do think that there is probably merit to even having some sort of like consultancy between a brand and like even your standard issue influencer and please influencers do not take that as an insult. I just mean that, like, I I'm just thinking about specifically the, the Kyle Sheely Mealy. Um, there were a few interesting aspects of that, that probably didn't need to happen. If there was like an experienced agency or media planner in the middle to be like, Hey, let's maybe, have him admit that this was an ad at the top just something there to sort of stem that reaction because that went south and probably didn't need to um and probably wouldn't have if there was some sort of agency involvement to say like here are some things to keep us above board so yeah you you, in a lot of cases you probably don't need an agency but if there's even like a shred of doubt that like Maybe we're going about this the wrong way. That's where an agency has a lot of values, even still, even when it's just like that one-off campaign with that one influencer. All
0: right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk more about pitching, red flags, good and bad things about finding new clients. We'll be right back.
3: Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet viral Growth. Your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brain or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.
1: My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead.
2: We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be.
0: I I have to give a shout out to the production folks out there. And I mean, hey, all production folks are fascinating, but, and, and vitally important, but in the, in the agencies tend to have a production department. And of course, their, their TV shoots or whatever, their big video things, they bring in a production house. Like they don't do it all themselves. Um, but producers will save your life. They will keep you out of like massive legal trouble. They will save your company hundreds of thousands of dollars and tremendously. like And, and it's hard to describe until you've been through it. But like I worked at an agency for, I think, eight years. And I single-handedly watched our production company, like, firsthand I watched our production team um, st- just help our clients avoid absolute disaster. Because clients are like, got to move fast. Like, they're like Sonic the Hedgehog, right? It's just like, got to keep moving. And so the idea of spending time on something or the very deliberate processes that go into agencies, like picking, you know, scheduling a production, they're like, they get restless, right? Right. And so they were like, we're going to build our own in- in-house team and we're going to hire these people directly and we're going to get it all done and we're going to be nimble and agile. And then what they end up doing is like violating SAG contracts. <laughs> they end up uh, creating really toxic, uh, unhealthy work conditions. Um, it's it's real bad. And they they leave them and they they don't negotiate rights uh, for usage and things. And so I've, I've seen several brands like try this and then reverse course. Um not, not to stray, but I think we are getting at the point of, like, there is value. There is value to an agency, to a full-service agency. Um, but, Jameson, we're at a tipping point, I feel like, where agencies have put up with so much shit from brands for, forever, forever, to be clear. Um, but but let's talk about Coinbase. And I'm I, maybe I'm projecting onto you, but was that a tipping point for this industry? What happened, and was it a tipping point?
5: I don't want to say it's a tipping point yet. I think everybody involved, Chris Cavallo and all of the support that she's garnered, there's a lot of agency execs who are, um, you know,
0: rallying behind her. Remind us us what happened.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, Coinbase... Coinbase uh, had a QR code Super Bowl ad, you know, one of the most talked about Super Bowl ads in recent memory, and their CEO decided to do a Twitter thread, basically claiming that was done entirely in house. And then went even further and said, no ad agency could come up with this. When, in fact, an ad agency did come up with it, the Martin agency who did not do the ad also came up with that concept. And I think RGA also chimed in and said, hey, we had a similar concept that we pitched you. So at least three ad agencies showed they were capable of making that ad. Um, and so Kristen Cavallo politely pointed that out on Twitter uh, and then had a LinkedIn post that followed that up with, you know, really explaining the the issues around him taking credit and the how IP kind of just gets thrown around and kept by brands. And so, yeah, I mean, she's trying to start this movement. There's a lot of support behind it. So I, I, I don't want to call it a tipping point yet, but they want it to be a tipping point. And so we'll see over these next few months whether... There is real change, a real standard set uh, in terms of owning IP.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe to, I'm sure a lot of our re- listeners know this, but maybe haven't experienced it firsthand. You know, the way, the, the very quick version of how the pitching process works, right, is usually a new CMO comes in uh, at a company. and Or they get big enough where they can finally hire um, an agency or a CMO. And uh, they decide we want to put our account in review. So let's say we're already working with this agency. We've been working with them for about three years, five years, 75 years. It does not matter. No one is safe. Uh, And then you go into this lengthy review process where they look at their options. Uh, It's not open. It's not like... They put a call out on LinkedIn of like, hey, any agencies want to work on Uber? That's not the way it works. Like these consultants kind of connect them uh, behind the scenes with a handful of agencies that they think could do a pretty good job on it. Those agencies then pitch the shit out of it for like months. Um, there's multi rounds, multiple rounds, usually ending in like some big dramatic Mad Men style uh, pitch in person. That, by the way, 100% accurate. I mean, I don't know how accurate like in terms of the the charisma but that stuff that i mean th- those moments happen those madman moments like the kodak thing like the the really emotional pitches uh they do happen but to get there you got to go through so much spreadsheets and uh you know just so many steps and and so much cost cutting and you really have to be willing to just eat your own flesh to like uh to get to get through this process all to get this win um and and to that point, let's let's spot. We'll come back to the red flags of bad clients in just a second. But Emmy, you did a really fun and really fascinating story on the links that agencies in this process will go to to familiarize themselves. What were some of your favorite stories that people shared about immersing themselves in a client or its industry?
6: Yeah. So I actually got this idea um, because I was talking to someone at um, CHS. About the um, things that she looks for in um, looks for in a CMO, and um, she was just just kind of mentioned that she got her motorcycle license after working for a motorcycle brand. So I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Um, so that kind of spurred the story where I I did a call out on Twitter and I asked people um, to share their most interesting stories, and there were a lot of really good ones. Um, there's this one guy who kind of um, he acts like a like kind of silly um, customer and calls like a headquarter and asks like ridiculous questions just to see how they like the person that's working there would react if they react in a polite manner or not. Um, There was there were agencies that um, there was another woman who got her welding license. Um, Another team ended up taking, um, I guess, courses in cleaning hotel rooms. Um, There's another team that was representing a um, a artist and a songwriter and they ended up moving in with him for a month just to understand like his creative process and how he makes music. Um, And just like a whole bunch of wacky shit um, that I think makes being in an agency seem a lot more sexy than at least what I perceived it
2: to be. And I
5: think, oh, and the- I think my favorite was the agency who, was it Crystal Burger. The entire agency went to Crystal Burger and ate every single menu item on the menu. And then she admitted they came back to the to the agency and pretty much destroyed their bathrooms.
6: Oh yeah. Blowing up bathrooms was like um, a uh, way of just dis- we use like across social media Jameson used it in the newsletter I think that was that was a real content um, traffic driver um, just basically throw all politeness out the window let's talk about eating ass let's talk about blowing up bathrooms um, that's
0: that's the ad week philosophy and that's marketing in 2022 that's that's what we do um, yeah it's it, it, I will say that a lot of this is theater You know, a lot of when I not to not to question the motives, but a lot of the time these gestures of we went out and I remember one agency. God, was it mine? No, it wasn't mine. One agency um, changed the oil on a car, like in real time to like win an oil account or something like that. Or like they brought it into their office and changed it in the office. It's just things like that where I'm like, I get it. It is theatrical it is really just like, look at the lengths we go to. I, the first time I ever shaved my head, which now I shave it pretty much every day. First time I ever shaved it was for a pitch. Uh, we painted my head red and then I had to wear a Detroit Red Wings jersey, which is my favorite, uh, sports team, uh, because it was for a sports, uh, apparel or what do you call them? Like sporting goods chain. And, uh, we, uh, painted my head red and we all did these like weird poses of super fans and man we thought i like our our leadership thought it was going to be such a home run we presented it to the client and we should like did this for you and they just looked at it just stone silence and they were like okay and i wanted to be like that took four fucking hours (laughs) (laughs) and i was honestly the lower so anyway um So, Jameson, uh, as as I've mentioned your story on the red flags that agencies have gotten better over the years at if you want to have a high win percentage, you have to know when to step up, right? Like when to even try. That's a recurring theme of the article you just wrote of just making sure that you're actually pitching a viable pitch and not just swinging at everything. But how are agencies spotting really problematic uh, or potentially problematic clients?
5: Yeah, so... You know, I think the the obvious one is the ownership of IP or is the brand clearly calling that out in the contract, saying that is going to be a part of it. Although a lot of the a lot of the agencies I spoke to said it's not really happening that much anymore. That on the creative side, brands are really starting to accept like you pitch an idea here, like you got to get paid for it. Um, on the flip side, on the media side, pretty much every media pitch, the the client says they're gonna own the IP. But some of the other big red flags, often like just right around transparency, is there a clear brief? Does Does the client actually know what the fork it wants in an ad agency? And if that's not obvious, a lot of these agencies said we'll walk away because we don't want any part of a client who has no idea what they're really actually looking for. Um, timeline is another big one. Uh, you know, I don't think any agency wants to get pulled back into a Coca-Cola or KFC-like pitch where Coca-Cola went a year almost. And KFC had three final rounds. I think it was that pitch just about killed me trying to report it. Cause every time you're ready to like, okay, this is it. It was like, oh no, we got to go back and pitch two more weeks. So, uh, I can only imagine how the agencies felt having to constantly go back and pitch them over and over and over again. So yeah, it's brief it's trend. Uh, and the other big thing is financials. Like how much is actually at stake here? Because agencies don't want to spend six figures or even seven figures. I'm sure these agencies probably drop seven figures on the Coca-Cola pitch if they don't actually know what they're fighting for. And so that seems to be the biggest red flag talking to agency new business execs is like most of the time we go into these pitches and like have to ask a thousand questions of like, how much do we have at stake here? How much of the billings that we can pull away from this? Because the budgets aren't set.
0: Yeah, and I feel like it's often any sign that you're in a race to the bottom is is a good time to not take part in that. Like if procurement, and not to say procurement's always awful, but for those who aren't familiar with procurement, essentially sometimes it, the way it's phrased is the department at a company that buys the toilet paper is often the same one hiring the ad agency, um, and that's what you don't want. That's when you end up with a spreadsheet, and they sort by lowest to highest. And that's who they pick. Uh, and those so those are warning signs of like who's going to be on there, right? Like who's on the who's making the choice. And if the answer is the CMO, okay, that's one thing that's fine. But if the answer is like procurement will largely decide, uh, that is that is something different. What you want is like procurement does not hire the lawyers. That's another thing you hear often is like the people who hire the lawyers should be the ones hiring the ad agency. Uh, so it's it's a bit inside baseball, but it's just like those are the little things you learn the hard way. You learn what you go in. You're like, oh, oh, I'm in a pricing war, and that's fine if you're willing, to Jameson's point, to engage in a pricing war where you're willing to like just eat absolute dog food, like just just go down to the bare bones. Um, anything else that that came up in there that you think, if nothing else, that you would advise folks, especially I don't know, you're starting an agency or you're or you're setting out on your own. Anything, Jameson or Emmy, that you would say you've learned, like, hey, maybe keep an eye out for this and and uh, walk away.
5: Yeah. I mean, I I would also add to the procurement point of a lot of the execs didn't seem to have an issue of procurement being heavily involved. They just want to know they're going to be heavily involved. They don't want to go through this, you know, six month pitch and then find out at the final meeting that this is really a procurement exercise. They want to know that upfront because they'll change how they do things or drop out because of it. Um, But I mean, I think the other thing for the brand perspective that they they have to realize is, and this is something Tom Denford, who runs uh, ID Comms and is you know uh, media is a, a pitch consultant mostly on the media side. Was he was like you know if you want to be an agency's priority client, you have to make it a priority pitch, and that's delivering a clear brief, clear timeline, and you know knowing what you want. And if you run a good pitch and a good process, like. Whoever wins your business is going to treat you like a priority client because they're there to build a great relationship. So if your brand like don't half-ass like trying to pick somebody like take the
0: time and make sure you do it right. Amy, what would you uh, what would you say like looking back on the coverage you've had last few weeks? uh, You also did a great piece on what CMOS are looking for for an agency. What would you tell agencies about like how they should be a good pitcher, and then also how they should know what to walk away from
6: yeah um so i think chris Brandt, who's the cmo of chipotle put it really well um he said that no no um, brand is really looking for a big dog and pony show when it comes to pitching um and i think that he said like don't you don't need to say that you're gonna you know deliver all this crazy stuff. And also a lot of times like the strategy, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to be some campaign that is, has a, all these bells and whistles. Um, I also talked to the CMO of Kia and he was talking about his, their Super Bowl campaign. Like that was very much um, just sort of a flashy, like they had like a robo dog and they were, they were introducing their EV. Like that's an example of something that is a little bit more memorable um, maybe doesn't have the same uh, like sales, I don't know what marketers call it, like ROIs, that's the word, I think. Um, and but it, but it sort of just like builds brand love. Um, but back to what I was going to say about Chris, like not everything has to be that. Not everything has to be super flashy. Some things can just be like, this is a little more low key. Um, this is really strategy based. This is really data based. Um, so I think agencies always think that they have to like, Wow, their brands with something completely out of this out of this world. But you know, it, it's good to keep it low key sometimes too. I
0: will share my. Th- these are the little things you learn. It, it, this took me years to find out. But uh, if you want to know what your competitor is pitching, uh, check the trash can when you show up to pitch something. And I thought I thought my coworkers were psychopaths when we showed up at a pitch, like an in person pitch, and they went straight to the trash cans. <laughs> and it's because all the people at a client on the client side of a pitch um they get handed these these takeaways right these big things and then of course like nine out of ten of them just throw them in the trash when they're done because they don't want to hang on to it like they're not the cmo and so like (laughs) i had would just be like be right back and we can go see what else people have been pitching (laughs) that's in the trash at which is uh, i mean a hell of a tip um and then before we wrap up, I just had to tell you all uh, one of my favorite stories. And this is is bundled in the form of a tip. Uh, the tip being watch for your own red flags in your pitch team. And I'll share a story at risk of, I don't know, I, I don't know what's proprietary information. I've been gone for like nine years from the agency world. So I think I'm safe to tell this. That's not a bad story. But like we were on a pretty big pitch. One of the biggest of my of my time in the agency and the night before, we did what a lot of agencies do. We hold up in a hotel in the town where we were pitching, and we all just, like, practiced, right? You do—you you, you practice your part. You practice the technology. You run through everything, and you make sure everything looks good. Standard stuff. One person was clearly very nervous and could not even practice his portion. Um, like, just was so nervous just sitting around the table, doing, like, a table read, essentially, And I was concerned because this was a pretty high-level person who was going to be a main point of contact for this client. So I pulled our uh, managing director aside and I said, I think we need to pull him from the pitch. We've got other people here who can jump in. It'll be fine. We've got time because it's the night before. Um, He's like, no. No, it's just nerves. It's fine. It happens to all of us. I was like... I don't know, man. I got a bad feeling. I got a real bad feeling. So, of course, because I'm the one telling this story, I was correct. Uh, and the next day, we pitched, and everything went okay. It went pretty good. And then we get to that portion, and he is petrified. Like, he is that—you you may have seen pub, people doing public speaking where, like, you realize, oh, this person is— um. They're, they're done for. Uh, and so he's up there. He starts sweating, which, you know, that's, whatever, that's normal. He's he's stuttering. He can't really complete a sentence. And it's just making no sense. It's just like watching someone, you know, not to sound like I'm making light of it, but it's like, I mean, we were earnestly concerned. Is he having, like, a medical condition? Is, something, is he having a panic attack up there? But what do you do, right? Like, you can't, like, give him the hook. You can't just, like, jump in and be like, I think what he's trying to say is. And so... We just kind of let it go and let the dice fall where they did. Um, But at some point he started like picking at his uh, forehead and it started to bleed and he didn't notice and he's sweating profusely. So blood just starts to pour down his face and it's mixing with the sweat. And so it is just everywhere. And next thing we know, within seconds, someone someone next to me just goes like, is he bleeding? And I was like, yes. And they were like, what do we do? And I said, I don't know. And he just stood there bleeding, his face covered in blood, trying to finish a very normal pitch. And then just like stumbled through a thank you and then walked off stage. We did not win.
4: (laughs) I never know where a Grinder story is going. I just want to...
6: (laughs) Yeah. Not thought. everyone can be as perfect as you, David Greiner. No need to no need to drag this innocent man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like. I certainly am am not an A plus pitcher, but you you do come to really admire the people who are great at it, and um, you know spend time with those folks, really learn their secrets. Uh, but also, to my point, if someone raises a flag about your pitch team. Uh, like the one back in the day used to just be, Hey, so our entire pitch team is a bunch of white dudes. You know, if someone raised a flag like that, executives used to just be like, nah, not a big deal. I, I watched a team, uh, go in front of a client where the client was all women and the, the pitch team brought no women. That was, that was a train wreck. Um, so it's just things like that where we've gotten past that point, but there's still, I think this hesitance to change things at the last minute. Like, trust your gut. Just uh, yeah, and trust I want to walk away. So, uh, on that note... Uh, Jameson thanks so much for coming on to talk about it. this story is, uh, is such a good read we've barely scratched the surface uh, red flags in the uh, new business pr- process and what agencies are uh, nervous about with potential clients definitely check out Jameson's coverage on adweek.com check out Emmy's story she's got one on what CMOs are looking for she's got one on how agencies immerse themselves in clients industries uh, Jameson thanks so much for joining us thank you for having me Emmy, always such pleasure. Uh, and uh yeah, we will obviously have you back again whether we want to or not.
6: Yeah, anytime you need a little humbling around here, David Griner, just I'm I'm your girl, so let me know. I'm so
0: glad. So glad. Uh Shannon, uh, I hope this was a fun. I don't know. Did you did you learn some stuff about the pitching world? <laughs> I think I learned a little bit too much about the pitching world. <laughs> but thank you. I'll tell you I'll tell you the good stories after we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> all right our theme music is by home this week's episode was produced by Al Manarino and edited by lane McGibney. if you haven't already please leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts those uh, reviews mean a lot to us personally and they help new listeners discover the show you can reach us anytime at podcast at adweek.com that's podcast at adweek.com for adweek i'm david griner and we'll be back next week
3: hey there are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company